Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. One of my all-time favorite movies, and I know when I say this, I'm giving my age away a little bit, is the early 90s classic, A Few Good Men. If you, any of you uh, remember A Few Good Men and remember that as a, as a great classic movie? And uh, if you remember that, near the end of that movie, there's this, this famed scene, this famed courtroom scene, in which Tom Cruise's character, Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, uh, is the attorney trying to get Jack Nicholson's character, Colonel Nathan Jessup, to admit that he was responsible for a hazing incident that led to the death of a soldier. And in the course of that questioning, Lieutenant Caffey presses Colonel Jessup and says, I want the truth. And Colonel Jessup responds, you can't handle the truth, right? That's the classic line. Great, great part of that movie. Um, And he goes on to outline why his methods of training soldiers are necessary, even though they're not always considered to be clean and proper. And while we're not going to get into any kind of debates here about military tactics or anything of that nature, the question that, that Lieutenant Caffey was asking and the response that Colonel Jessup gave is not unfamiliar to many of us. The question of, do we want the truth? Do we want the truth? And having heard the truth, is the truth something that we can really handle, that we can really grasp, that we can really understand? I mean, what is the truth? How do we identify it? Is it possible that we're deceived by things that people tell us are the truth? These are regular questions that are part of our social discourse all around us. How is it possible that two seemingly intelligent, rational people can come to such divergent positions and divergent places on a whole range of subjects? How is that possible? And yet we know people all around us raise this question, what is truth? How do we know the truth? That's certainly a question for our day, but it's not a new question for our day. And it wasn't a new question 30 years ago when that movie came out. In fact, in Jesus' day, people were raising a similar kind of question. What is truth? How do we know it? How do we recognize it? And Jesus recognized that even in his day, it was possible to be deceived about what was true or what was false. And so, in his Sermon on the Mount that we are continuing through today, he spoke about several forms of deception. As we examine this next great section of the Sermon on the Mount today— we're going to hear Jesus' warning about deception in a couple of different forms. There was deception about the way to God, deception about false teachers, and even as Jesus talked about it, self-deception. As we hear his warnings today, we recognize some of the ways that we are encouraged, that we are called to recognize truth and to recognize deception around us. So we're reading this morning from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning with verse 3, 13 rather, and again as we've been doing throughout this series from the message. It says there in verse 13, Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous, and requires total attention. 
be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off somewhere or other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing my, what my father wills. I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our super spiritual projects had everyone talking. Do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. That's a, these are some tough words, aren't they? That's a, a tough, tough passage. Jesus is highlighting for us a reminder that there, is, there was deception in his world, and there's certainly deception in ours. Here's the thing. No, no one wants to be deceived, right? I mean, none of us set out to be deceived. I think that's a pretty safe statement. I mean, that person over there that we're going to talk to, that person over there that we're going to meet with, you know, they, they can be wrong, but we don't go into circumstances and situations expecting to or, or thinking that we are ever going to be deceived or follow after falsehood. Here's the simple little truth. At one time or another, every single one of us has been deceived. We've all had opportunities to look back with the hindsight of experience or with additional information and recognize that for one reason or another, we were deceived. And those are the ones that we can recognize. I'm sure there are countless others that we still don't even see or know. While this discussion of truth and deceit has been seemed to be raised to new levels over the last few years, truth and deception are not new to our day. Jesus' world knew deception as well. Jesus warned his followers about its reality, and he warns us about several different ways in which deception can be around us. What's the first one that he says? The first way that Jesus says this, the focus of deception about the, the many ways to God, which is what he says. Beginning in verse 13, it's this. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Now, why is it that we often look for the quick route? Why does the quick or easy route often seem so enticing? You know, we, we want to lose 20 pounds and we want to do it by next week. And we want to have the pill that we can take that can get it, all those 20 pounds off. Or we want to become millionaires tomorrow. We want that, that lottery ticket or whatever it is that can get us to that point tomorrow. Or we want to climb to the top of our jobs without needing to go through the time and the energy and the effort that it takes to get there. We live in, in, a, in a microwave society, a society that wants everything yesterday, that turns everything around quickly with the least amount of time and the least amount of effort. And that can sometimes seep into our relationship with God. There are some tough sayings in Scripture, some of them that we read here this morning. 
There are some places in which God calls us to put aside our natural sinful tendencies and to follow the path that he establishes. Sometimes those are really, really tough words to hear. And often there are even tougher words to put into practice. One such deceptive aspect of our culture is a belief that there are many ways to get to God. As long as you're sincere, or as long as you're kind, or as long as you're loving, then whatever path will get you there. Here's the thing. Jesus actually makes some pretty exclusive claims in Scripture. He says that instead of many ways to God, he says there's actually one way. He makes this point pretty clear in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What's Jesus saying there? He's, he's pointing to that means of forgiveness, a relationship with God that is the gift of God, that is ours through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus took on your sin and mine, paying the penalty for that sin by dying on a Roman cross, and then validating his life by rising again from the dead, giving us the hope of eternal life. We can't get ourselves to God. Only through God's grace, exhibited in the life of Jesus Christ, can we hope to relate to God. But sometimes our culture hears that. Our culture hears that message and it recoils around us. I mean, that seems so exclusive. That seems so narrow. That seems so uncaring about the people around us. Yet the reality is, is quite the opposite. That's actually good news. Because there is a way back to God. And that way isn't hidden from us. It's made known to us by our Savior Jesus Christ. It doesn't involve us working hard and making ourselves good enough for God. The simple truth is that if that's our goal, we can never get there. Because we can never get good enough to overcome the sin that we have all committed. Jesus invites us into that truth, not into deception. And that truth begins with a clear understanding of the gift of salvation. The gift of a relationship with God made possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus warned those to whom he was preaching about the deception of many paths to God. But that wasn't the end of his warning about deception around them. He then moved to the deception of false teachers and false preachers. Clearly the favorite passage of all preachers who are ever going to stand before you. These are some tough, tough words, but this is what Jesus said. He said, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or the other. The first warning that Jesus gave was about a deceptive message. Here, Jesus turns his attention to deceptive messengers. What is the motivation of those seeking to bring truth, particularly truth in the church? Is that for the good of the congregation, the people around us and their well-being? Is, is that motivation an attempt to share about the grace and the good news of Jesus Christ? Or is the motivation of the messenger one of deception? Trying to get you to join his or her group for their own good. Well, charisma in a leader is, it can be a wonderful thing. 
It can be amazing to see a charismatic leader galvanizing people around the truth and around God's way. But charisma in the hands of one simply out for his or her own gain, that can be a disaster. Why is that? Well, because a charismatic preacher can be very persuasive. Someone who can give just enough truth to sound reliable and who has a personality that draws people can wield an enormous power. And if that power is used for good, amazingly wonderful things can happen for the kingdom of God. But if that power is used for personal gain, it can be disastrous. It's a warning to me, to Becca, to every preacher that stands in front of a congregation and seeks to proclaim the truth of God. What is our motivation? What is the driving force behind what we're doing? Jesus set this forth as the solution to this problem of deception coming from charismatic preachers. He says this, Don't be impressed with charisma, but instead look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. How will we ultimately know the truth and avoid deceptive preachers? Well, time will tell. A genuine leader will not look to exploit his or her position. A genuine leader will not seek opportunities to promote his or herself. Long-term, fruitful lives that withstand the rigors of time will be the tell of genuine character. No preacher is perfect or sinless. All of us at times will allow personal agendas to enter our minds and enter our words. But over time, with God's help and God's guidance, genuine truth will come to the forefront. We can trust in God's faithfulness. Now, there are a couple things that that we want to recognize in the midst of those, those sayings. This clarity, this understanding of ultimate character, sometimes we don't always see it in the short term. This clarity will come in God's timing, but not always in ours. What do I mean by that? Well, Sometimes, sometimes there have been preachers of poor character whose churches and ministries have grown and seem to succeed for a period of time. Sometimes for a season, it can seem that the wrong is succeeding. But ultimately, we are assured that God's truth, God's truth will win out. Take the long view. Allow the truth of God to be clear over that time. And a second important caveat here is that even preachers of poor moral character can speak the truth some of the time. In fact, if they only spoke falsehood, it would actually be easier to tell that they were in error of their ways. There's usually just enough truth hidden to keep the inner, deeper agenda missing. And I say that to clarify that even in circumstances in which there's been deception, God's truth is still present. A couple of years ago, My family and I were part of a church whose pastor was one of the most dynamic and gifted preachers that I've ever heard. His sermons were were outstanding, and his practical insights and applications were often incredibly compelling. In a short time after we left that church to to come to a a new ministry opportunity, we learned that 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 pastor had been removed from that church because of some significant personal sin. And we were very surprised. But in reflecting on the sermons and the teaching— 
we could still recognize the truth of God proclaimed in them. That's in no way to give a pass to that pastor. The character of the preacher is critical, as Jesus highlights here. But it is to say that God's truth, God's truth will persevere. And we are called and encouraged to recognize that not only can the message be, lead to deceit, but also the messenger can lead to deceit as well. Be on guard for the deceptive message of many ways to God. Be on guard for the deceptive preachers who seek to use God's message for their own gain. Those two things are outside of us, things that we should be aware of. But Jesus wasn't finished with his warnings of deception. He even warns us in this third part of the passage about deceiving ourselves. Picking up in verse 21, he says this, Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our super spiritual projects and had everyone talking. Do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. This, this third form of deception to which Jesus turns is a, is a self-deception. Specifically, it's a self-deception that thinks that we can figure out God and make ourselves acceptable to God. You see, for some, this deception comes in the form of thinking that they know the particularly special lingo or magic words to get them right with God. And throughout the history of the church, there have been various groups and individuals who think that they have some sort of special knowledge or insight that uniquely qualifies them for service to God or leadership in the church. But the means of entry into relationship with God or leadership uh, is, is, is clear and straightforward. It comes in the form of faith in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. There isn't a secret handshake or a special word of hocus-pocus that gets us right with God. It's about the work of God in and through our lives. And the second part of that is that there's no amount of good actions or good work that you or I can do to earn our path to God. Jesus was saying at the, at the final judgment, there would be people that would come up and they would highlight all these ways that they had made a difference in the kingdom of God. But they were in fact acting in vain, only building up their personal prestige and their personal interest. The self-deception the self of thinking we can get ourselves to God, it will ultimately fail. So what's the solution? How do we avoid this self-deception of working for God? Well, Jesus says what is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem like a particularly distinct answer from what we were doing on our own. It would appear that we're, that we're trading in what, you know, one set of, of actions to, to affect God coming into our lives for another. But that's not the point that Jesus is making here. Jesus knows that true repentance, truly trusting in Jesus Christ as a means of salvation, is, is not merely something that we say or even something that's merely exhibited in our external actions. True repentance is recognizing our sin, our own inability to do anything about it, and trusting in Jesus Christ as our only hope. You see, what he's saying is when we put our trust in Jesus Christ instead of our own abilities, 
we recognize that we're invited into a total relationship with God. And that relationship is not just a means of behavior modification. Rather, it's an invitation to be changed by God from the inside out so that we not only do the right things, but desire to do the right things. Jesus wants all of us, including the motivations of our lives. And that's, that's the only way to come close to this sort of serious obedience. Now, once again, it's important to recognize that while we are human beings living here on planet Earth, we will not reach a point of perfection or of completion in this process. We all sin and turn from God's way. But the trajectory, what is the trajectory of our lives? Over time, do we recognize how God is guiding and molding and, and making us in his image? Jesus reminds us today, he says, don't be deceived. We cannot get ourselves to God. Only the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ can draw us into this relationship with God. We may recognize deceit around us. We may even be able to deceive people around us. We may even be able to deceive ourselves for a period of time. But God is a God of truth. God is, knows what is happening in the deepest places of our lives, and God will not be deceived. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. The God who knows our deepest thoughts loves you and me enough to come to our world and to offer us a means of forgiveness. Not a means that's hidden, not a means that's of deception, but a way that's straightforward and defines and describes the love that God has for you and for me. And he invites us this day. He invites us to experience and to recognize that gift of a relationship with God. Do we recognize godly truth? Do we recognize the ways that Jesus Christ reveals that truth to us? If so, we're invited to humbly receive that gift, that gift of forgiveness, that gift of life, and that gift of direction that comes from God. Let us pray. Lord God, we are grateful today. Grateful that you are a God of truth. That you are a God who in the face of all sorts of others around us who would seek to deceive, who would seek to set us in all sorts of different directions, you're a God who brings truth, brings light, brings clarity. Lord God, may you help each one of us as we go through this world to recognize in you and in your truth the hope that is before us. May we recognize the difference that you make, and may we follow in your ways in our lives. Lord God, as we are here in this place, we turn our trust and our attention to you. And we recognize that you have taught us through Scripture, and you continue to lead and to guide us. And so it's with that recognition that we together pray as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 